We are called to live faithfully for Jesus 168 hours a week. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast with Brandon and Chris. We're listening to the Faith 168 Podcast where we seek to fuel our faith for all 168 hours of the week. Brother Christian and I are exceedingly glad that you have joined us for this critical episode. I guarantee that you'll be blessed and encouraged by our discussion today, so I encourage you to stay tuned. Now, Brother Christian, how's it going today? It's going good. I'm glad to be recording another episode with you, my brother. I'm doing well, and I'm excited about this topic today, which has been a controversial topic at times. It's the topic on faith and works that we read out of the book of James, and we have these questions that James ponders and, and helps us to think about what is faith? Does faith lead to works? Do our works justify us? Is it a combination of the two? How, how does this work? How does salvation work? And I remember reading this passage as a younger man, I know I'm still technically a young man, but as a (laughs) younger man, I was a youth at the time, but this elderly man was asked a question by a group of students. And I was one of those students that was there. We were doing this, this mission work for the town and he was one of the group leaders. And the question was this, how do you get to heaven? I think that's a question that a lot of people have today, especially mm-hmm. the, the lost and dying world. I, when you hear the idea of heaven, it's it's something that people want. It's something that people would enjoy. And right. the problem is, is how do we get there? And this man seemed unsure of how to answer that question, but he eventually responded with, I guess if you try to do good, God will understand. and." will let you in. Hmm. And unfortunately, many people have concluded that trying to be a good person is what it takes to get eternal life in heaven with Christ. But this misses the point of scripture entirely. And at face value, especially as we read this passage today, some people can try to conclude that the Bible says that. But when we do that, we put aside the rest of Scripture and we put aside the context in which the author, James, here is writing. And so as we read James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, there's a lot of Scripture that goes with this as well. And it's important that we understand why James is, is writing this. I think Brother Brandon is going to go into a great explanation uh, of what he's trying to get to here as we read this, but we're going to to jump into the scripture today in James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. And James writes, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Brandon, I'm letting you take this one. All right. Sounds good. 
So James makes it apparent in this passage of scripture that there are two kinds of faith, true and false, alive and dead, genuine and fake. He clearly distinguishes in this passage between the mere profession of faith, where one professes and claims to have faith in Christ, and possession of faith, where a person actually has true faith in Christ. And really, the passage of Scripture we're looking at is a smaller portion of a larger passage that Mm -hmm. spans verses 14 all the way down to verse 26. And in this whole section of Scripture, James is focusing on the kind of faith that is real versus the kind of faith that isn't real. And in this first part we're going to deal with, he draws his attention to the kind of faith that is dead, one that is false, one that isn't real or authentic. Uh, You can kind of imagine James doing this. He's sort of taking a magnifying glass, if you will, and holding it really close to inauthentic faith in order to show us what it looks like. Because obviously we want to avoid that kind of faith. We want to have true faith in Christ. Um, So first of all, what is this fake faith? What is this faith that is dead that he talks about here? Well, he introduces us to this idea by first asking two crucial questions, two rhetorical questions where the answer is pretty obvious and implied. I want you to see the first one in verse 14, the first part of verse 14, rather. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? There's the first question he asks to help us understand what false and dead faith really is all about. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying here, what benefit and what good is faith if it doesn't manifest itself in good works? Now, we already said these are rhetorical questions, so the answer is already obvious, it's already implied, and so the undeniable answer to this question is, well, that kind of faith is not good. It's bad. Right. And notice also, James says, what good is it if a man says he has faith but does not have works? See, he's drawing our attention to this mere profession of faith. He's talking about a claim, claiming with your your lips and your words that you have faith. He's talking about the person who just says, I'm a believer. I follow Jesus. I've been saved. My name is truly written in heaven. Now, is there anything wrong with saying those things? Well, no, not really. Initially, there's nothing wrong with making those claims to possessing true and saving faith. But it will become apparent as we continue this study that the issue is really this. Namely, if a person's faith goes no further than mere profession. In other words, if profession is all you got, that's not good. Right. Um, If you talk the talk, but do not walk the walk, then you probably have this false faith that James is talking about here. Mm -hmm. That's why James is basically telling us at the outset Hey, look, if your lips say that you have faith, but your life says the opposite, then what good is that? That's not good. That's not true faith. And not only is it not good, James continues by saying that mere profession of faith 
is not good enough. He says it's not good enough to save. And he draws our attention to that in the second question of verse 14, where he says this, Can that faith save him? This kind of faith that is just a profession, just speech, just words, is that faith sufficient to save? Is that faith good enough to be justified in the sight of God and go to heaven, as Chris talked about earlier? Well, the implied answer, once again, is no. It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, right. this kind of faith is, is not good enough. According to James here, wordy faith is really worthless faith. If all you have is a claim without corroboration, profession without expression, and lip service without heart sanctification, if you will, then according to James, the kind of faith you have is dead. It's not good, and it doesn't save. And, you know, really James is not hitting a ball out of left field here. This is something that even Jesus talked about in the Gospels many times. Famously in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us about the peril of mere profession of faith, and he tells us about that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, See, there's that that same word that James is using. Mm -hmm. Not everyone who claims me as Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. So even Jesus says there, you know, not everybody who claims to know me as Lord is going to make it to heaven. What really matters is being in a relationship with Christ and possessing this true saving faith that manifests itself in good works. Now, these two important, crucial questions James asks here leads us, the readers of this letter, to ask a third question. Because if he says, you know, faith without works does not save and it's not good, then we're asking the question, well then, what kind of faith does? What kind of faith does save? What kind of faith is both good and saving? Well, thankfully for us, James gives us the answer to that question in the remainder of this passage. You see, once again, James is so helpful for us, as he already has been throughout this letter. He maintains his dualistic approach where he first tears down and then builds up. He points out the error first and then gives us the way to fix it. And in this case, he has already exposed false faith so that he can tell us what true faith is all about. And he does this in a negative way by giving us an example of dead faith, a faith that is false. Mm -hmm. And he says that in this little miniature uh, parable in verses 15 and 16. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
James is talking in very simple terms here. He says, you want to know what false faith is all about? What false faith looks like? Here's what it looks like right here. You see a person in need. They have a true, genuine need. In this case, it's somebody poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And you have the means to meet those needs, the resources, the uh, financial uh, provision to meet that need. And instead of meeting that need sufficiently, you simply wish them well and send them on their way. Yeah, that's that's like when we say, I'll pray for you. Right. When you could very well be the answer to the prayer. And how often do we say, I'll pray for you to someone? And we just say that as a way to kind of get them out of our hair. Or exactly. Push the subject aside and not help them. And so we say, I'll pray for you. Then we go home and we don't pray for them. We don't think about that situation. again. We may even see the way that we can help out one of our brothers or sisters in Christ, or maybe one of these people that are lost and dying in the world, which sharing that love with them, the love of Christ with them might be what they need to understand that relationship more. So I kind of see that as the, okay, I'll pray for you. And then we never pray. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a prime example of that. And really, this is just one example James gives us of a general principle. Mm -hmm. What's going on here generally in this parable is there's a need that needs to be met, but no movement on part of the person who says they have faith. Mm -hmm. There's no action. There's no response, no reaction, no good works. Right. According to this parable, such a person just stands idly by, wishes them well, as we said. They lie still and they are unmoved by somebody's real needs. And you know what else lies still and is unmoved? Anything that is dead. Right. And that's James' point here. You see, things that are alive are active. They're moving around. They're breathing. Things that are alive have a pulse. They show evidence of life. Leopards run and chase. Birds chirp. Dogs howl. Fish swim. Vines produce grapes. Human beings jump, run, sing, dance, work, eat, and produce children. All signs of life. Movement always indicates life. But lack of movement is a sure sign of death. Amen. And that's what James is saying about false faith. He's saying if your so-called faith is not moving around, if it's not jumping, dancing, and working, then it's dead. Right. But conversely, true, genuine faith proves itself to be alive when there is life change and good works. And that's why James lastly swings the gavel of truth to conclude this case of faith versus works by rendering this verdict in verse 17. He says, so also, here's the point of the parable, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now that verse might be initially shocking. The wording of this verse has actually caused great heartache and headache for Christians ever since it was written. Mm -hmm. That's because James initially appears to be contradicting a core doctrine of the Christian faith, the doctrine of faith alone, or as the Reformers called it, sola fide. 
Because after all, he says, faith by itself is dead, right? Well, no, he doesn't actually say that. He says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Again, he's made a distinction between true and false faith. Right. A, a false faith is evidently one that does not manifest itself in good works. Now, the scripture is very clear that faith alone is what saves us. A faith in Christ, that is. Uh, we come to the Lord God with empty hands. There are no works of righteousness that we can offer the Lord. In fact, all throughout the scripture, he detests such a presumption that says we can be saved by good works. He tells us in Isaiah that our works are like filthy rags before him. They're, they're just not good enough. Good works will never cut it. The only work that is sufficient for our salvation is the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ. Mm -hmm. We are saved by faith in that finished work. As Paul said in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So James is not contradicting that idea. Right. He's actually agreeing with what Paul said a little later in Ephesians 2. Mm -hmm. He said in verse 10, right after verse 9, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. They're saying the exact same thing. They're not contradicting one another. Paul says you're saved by grace through faith alone, and that faith results in good works. James says that's the only kind of faith that saves. You come to Christ with faith alone, but that faith is never alone. It will manifest itself in good works and life change. That's the only true faith there is. Anything else is dead. Right. So Christian, take it away for us and give us some further explanation. Yeah, and that's that's one thing I've heard from a lot of people that are professing unbelievers is that when they read this passage, they they see this what they believe to be a contradiction between the writing of James and the writing of Paul here. And so they, they use that as this contradiction to prove that the Bible is wrong, but that's right. just cherry picking a couple of verses. And no, I, I can cherry pick a couple of verses and, and try and justify myself and why I do certain things or why I don't do certain things sure. without taking in the full context and also just being led by the spirit and the understanding of scripture too is a dangerous way to go. But I would even take this scripture a step further. James is, is really talking about a very deep and, and personal subject because we're coming from a time and, and, you know, James himself being one of the leaders in Jerusalem, he's dealing with a lot of Jewish people too, a lot of Jewish converts and the Jewish converts, they were very big on the Jewish converts were very big on the law, you know? Right. And, and so they they had this this ability to do good works a lot of times. They that's what they were used to doing, mm -hmm. following this structure. Following you know, if you're looking for a good example of the law, just look at the Ten Commandments. So they can apply those things to their life. But a lot of times, their good works were not coupled with faith. And then if you have other people that on the opposite end of the table that might go around and they would 
have this appearance of faith. I have faith. They would speak it out and say, uh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, these are people that you might even see in church service every Sunday. Right. Uh, they, they have the words and, you know, they're around, but are those words moving them? Are they taking them anywhere? And so calling this out was, was something very big to do. I think it's something very big to do in our church. It's something that needs to be called out quite often. Uh, are, are your words backed up by actions? And I think that in looking at this, that there is this idea, and I've shared this before, and I, I share this a lot, and sometimes people even get mad when I share this, but I don't believe that when it comes to someone's salvation, that it's only just between them and the Lord. That that initial act, yes, putting your faith mm-hmm. in God, yes, but you can see salvation in people. Now, Am I, am I talking about walking down the road and seeing a random person and being able to determine whether they are a Christian or not? No, that is between them and God. I won't be able to tell that. And there are days that if a stranger were to walk up to me, some days that I have that are bad because I'm human and I, I fail, I fall short of the glory of God. Right. That first meeting me, that my actions really don't show that I'm a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. But the people I'm around consistently my community i see their lives i see their works and you can tell whether they have a faith that is leading them to good works or if they're just speaking some words right i know brother brandon pretty well i've known brother brandon for several years now and I can look at his life and I would, again, I'll never say this to his face. So just go ahead and close (laughs) your ears. But, you know, I I look at his life. I see his passion uh, and and his desire to see lost people saved, his desire to see brothers and sisters in Christ unified. And I see these good works produced from his faith. And so I see a genuine faith in that. And several other people in my community, I see that genuine faith. But you know what I also see? I see others that present themselves as having a genuine faith, but I see nothing to back it up. And you know what I see in that moment? I see a dead faith, an unreal faith. And Jesus talks about this going back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And so Jesus points out these false prophets. And I I would say that there's a lot of definitions that we can look at for a false prophet. But the definition that I would look at in this case to help us understand this a little bit better is just simply the ones falsely proclaiming their status as a Christian. There are other types of false prophets too, false prophets that preach a false gospel and other things like that. But he says that no matter what, no matter which definition you look at for a false prophet in this scenario, it all comes down to the same thing. They will be known by their fruits. Right. 
and our fruit will show what type of tree that we are. Our fruit will show if we are a tree that is alive, that is vibrant, and the, that fruit being works. You'll, you'll see people that are alive in their faith, that have a true, genuine faith. It will be backed up with their feet. It's not just their mouth moving. Their feet and their hands are moving as well. You're going to see them in the community. You're going to see them living out Scripture, not just talking about Scripture. You're going to see them not just saying, I'll pray for you, but looking for ways to be an answer to prayers. So our fruit shows what type of tree we are, alive and vibrant or dead. And we've got to really examine ourselves on that as well. And, and I think that there are even Christians that sometimes we we have a tendency to appear dead. Uh, so, for example, I, I've been watching these videos that are pretty funny. I like watching animal videos at night because animals are just so interesting the way that their, their whole little animal kingdom works out. Yeah, yeah. But, you know... Uh, there are these hunters, they'll be walking around, they'll have their cameras on their head. And I've seen several videos the past couple nights of this, you know, big buck just laying on the ground and they're walking up to it thinking that might've been the one that they shot or something and thinking yeah. that it's dead. Then they'll walk up to it and it appears dead. It looks dead. Then they get up to it and whoo, it jumps up and they're screaming and yelling. And then that buck takes off running. And it wasn't actually dead. It wasn't even the one that they were looking for. And I think Christians, sometimes we, we kind of get cold and, and, and lay down on the ground and seem dead, uh, but we're not truly dead. Sometimes we just need a little bit of the fear of God putting us to right, get us right. moving again. But ultimately, what we see is that Jesus himself is saying, we'll be able to tell who are brothers and sisters in Christ and who the people are that are lost and dying in this world. But we see some other examples. Paul talks about some examples of how you will be able to see the fruit of people. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 23, Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if you're looking for a dead tree or someone that's dead, and especially someone that says that they have faith, but these things are evident in their life, this is in a sense, kind of how they identify themselves or a thing that you would look at them and say that really matches up to their life. What you're looking at is dead faith mm -hmm. because they're not, they're not of God. They're of the flesh. These are things that these are fruits and you can't even really call them fruits really. So you kind of work it to that word works, works of the flesh that are evident in their lives that show that they are dead. But in verse 22, it continues on, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. 
And we see that the fruit of the Spirit here, when you see that in someone's life, if someone has love, what are they going to do? Love isn't just a word. Love isn't just something you say. I love my wife. I love my child. But if my wife and child were in trouble and in need, and I saw that, and I had the ability to help them out, or even a friend or family member in that case, if I said I loved them and completely ignored them, what would I be doing? I wouldn't be loving them. Right. That love itself would be dead. But because I have love, that leads me to work. Joy. I'm happy. I rejoice over the things that I have. I want other people to experience that joy. So I'm going to labor to bring that joy to this lost and dying world. It goes the same way with peace. I want this world to understand peace, which you can only find in Christ. And how am I going to get that message out if I sit in my room all day or if I only attend church service but never go out into the world and preach the gospel of peace, the gospel of grace? So you see the fruit of the Spirit, all of it leads to some type of effort put forth. The Spirit leads us to good works. And so if you have true, genuine faith, then I will see it. Brother Brandon will, will see it. If you don't, then guess what we will not see as a part of your life? Good, godly works the fruit of the Spirit that would be evident in your life if you had a true, genuine faith. So, Brandon, with all of that said, do you have anything to say to wrap this episode up? Yes, very good thoughts, Brother Christian. And if we could just back up for just a moment and get a satellite view of this passage of Scripture, uh, what James is really doing for us is helping us with our own assurance. He's saying, you know, you don't have to question whether you're a believer or not all the time if the evidence corroborates the claim. If you have these fruits, these good works that are evident in your life, then that's evidence that you're a true believer, that you possess this true and saving faith. Mm -hmm. Now, ultimately, our greatest assurance is Christ. He's the ultimate assurance of our salvation. He's the solid rock upon which we stand. His work is finished. The Father accepted it on our behalf. But evidence is also important. If we claim to be alive, well, it's going to show up. It's going to show up in our life. Uh, But if we claim to be alive and our life shows that we're dead, then something's wrong with our profession. Mm -hmm. So James, again, is so helpful here in helping us to have true assurance. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And I don't really have much more to say on that. I think it speaks for itself. And and this is something we're going to kind of hit on again as we continue to read through the book of James. And so I just want to thank everybody today for joining us on the Faith 168 podcast. I encourage you that if you enjoyed this episode to leave a review. We would greatly appreciate that. Just leave a review on whatever streaming service you are listening to. And again, I want to encourage you and brother Brandon wants to encourage you to go out, live faithfully this week, and we will see you again in 168 hours. And so I'm going to dismiss us in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. And I just thank you for your word. 
that that molds us, that corrects us, that that helps us to understand more about our relationship with you. And I just pray that we as, as your church today, the body of believers that are listening to this, that as we go throughout this week, that you give us the courage, the strength, and the ability to just show how you have given us life in the way that we live out our faith this week. If there's anyone that that crosses our path this week that does not know you, just give us the words to speak to them so that we could help them to understand their need to have a relationship with you. And today, Father, if there's one that's listening to this podcast that doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that you convict them of their need for a Savior. I pray that they look at this and that they understand that right now that they are not alive. They may be breathing and sucking in this oxygen and walking around and making memories here in this world, but that's where it ends, that they understand that true life is only found in your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Faith 168 Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on whatever streaming platform you are using. If you have a prayer request or have a topic that you would like us to cover, message us on the Faith 168 Podcast Facebook page, and we will see you in 168 hours.